Well, it's good to see you again, Robert. We were just talking yesterday and had uh, discussed uh, the idea of, the, uh, let us say, the intermingling of guided meditation and hypnosis or hypnotic induction. Uh, and so, uh, basically, you could say then that a guided meditation, if it's done correctly as a guided meditation, then it has always a wholesome value. Uh, but hypnosis uh, actually has a uh, a kind of a different reputation. Uh, and that reputation has to do with perhaps abuse, uh, stage magic, uh, stage performances generally uh, is where a lot of people get the idea of hypnosis. Uh, but another way of looking at it is that hypnosis is nothing but a suggestion. And if people are uh, what they call successful to um, being influenced like that, then they can do the hypnotic induction. But if somebody intentionally has resistance, like, oh, you can't hypnotize me, uh, then uh, that resistance will mean that the person is not going to be taking the suggestions they're going to be actively fighting with them all right well that actively fighting with good suggestions is something that we pick up in childhood uh an example of that in fact i was just talking to another student that if the daddy is um uh, in the morning is anxious and in a hurry and uptight about getting the kids ready for school. And he does that day after day after day. The kids will pick up on that and resist. They're actively slowing down because dad's all uptight. And nobody really knows all of this is going on. And so if dad then can change his attitude into an attitude of joy and friendliness and all of that and, and spread that joy to his kids, then they will become enthusiastic about going to school. But already because dad's in a hurry to get them off to school, they're already resisting him. Then they're resisting school. And the funny thing about it is, is that by and large, everyone that you will talk to and ask them about school, they have uh, generally, never mind the fact that there are ups and downs, the general overall experience of school for almost everyone is a negative experience. We don't like it. We think of school, we don't, we think of that in fact, even when think, people think about, well, maybe I should go back to university or go back to college or take some courses online, we automatically kind of resist it. Because we were not taught that learning is fun. We're taught that learning is a job to do. 
And so we automatically kind of resist that. And so this is one of the reasons why some people will refuse to become hypnotized while a very, very good hypnotist is in the process of doing an induction with them that they eventually start to go along with. But everyone will start with a bit of resistance to it. And uh, in fact, in another way then of saying it then is when we call it a guided meditation, people will automatically say, oh, well, I probably will get some benefit out of this. Mm. And so uh, they'll go through that uh, uh, hypnotic induction uh, that is actually nothing but a guided meditation and hypnotic induction. They're all the same thing, and it has to do with the tone of the voice and pausing and giving uh, visual images. One of the visual images that they have with hypnotic induction is the concept of entering an elevator. And as the numbers of the elevator go down, the person goes into what they call deeper into the hypnotic suggestion. So that we start at 410 and things start getting easier. And as we move down, we move down to step nine. And as we go down to step nine, things begin to get really relaxed and easy going and everything feels really nice. And you can see that, in fact, if the guided meditation is done correctly, it actually is nothing but anapanasati. And so uh, the visual images would be like that uh, the, the elevator goes down to, say, into a basement or a cavern. It's very, very cool. And so we have the feeling of, of cool. And so we paint images of colors of blue because blue is associated with ice and cold and that kind of thing. Mm. So uh, the kind of images that are presented in a hypnotic induction then can be useful for guided meditations. But the whole point of it is that um, everyone has a bit of resistance to doing anything. Uh, that in fact, this is something that's well known by good salesmen when they offer you a deal that they intentionally expect you to say no to. So that then they can offer you another deal that you might say yes to but you've already given the, the person, uh, uh, let us say your mark, an opportunity to express his ego and to feel power because he's told you no, and that that's how we gain our power is by saying no. Mm. But this is in fact what every young two-year-old learns, the power of no. This is why they call it the terrible twos. It's terrible because the child learns the word to know. And mommy is freaked out when that word comes up. Because here this tender infant that we've been nurturing and taking care of and saying goo goo gaga to and has been a happy little camper, all of a sudden he's saying no. Mm. <laughs> and so 
that's what happens also. We get into the habit of just saying no, and we do it over and over and over again. We do it to our school. We do it on the playground that we're always going around. Uh, when I say always, I'm not talking about the literal always, but from time to time. Mm-hmm. That we, we put up resistance or say no, because that helps us maintain our power. Because otherwise we feel weak, which means vulnerable, which brings on fear. And so uh, going back to the idea of the salesman, then one of the points of it is, is that if we can ask people a question to turn it around so that no actually is a yes. Mm. And we can phrase it like that uh, uh, in in ways that are kind of sneaky. Uh, that we can uh, ask someone uh, about, uh, uh, should I close this door? And they'll say no, when in fact you wanted it to stay open in the first place. Mm. And so you phrase it in a way to give people an idea to say no, which then gives you what you were looking for. Mm. But almost always, along with that business of saying no in order to keep our power, we also do it that way in the sense of taking our power means I want you to do what I want you to do. But then convincing them that what they want to do is okay with you, then mm. they'll do what they want to do. Mm. This is all under the area of hypnosis. Hypnosis is nothing but the fine art of manipulating people. Almost though, in let us say in many cases, it's not for the benefit or for the wholesome outcome of the mark. It's mm. for the benefit of the guy who's doing the hypnotic induction. Mm. Just like sales. In fact, you could go so far as to say that propaganda is nothing but a hypnotic induction. Convincing someone to do something that they really don't want to do by giving them an opportunity to say no to something else. It's very clever. It's a very sneaky tactic. Yes, it is, isn't it? But it's not sneaky so much as that it is knowledge that's unevenly distributed. And those who know how to manipulate people can do it successfully, often without the person even knowing that they've been manipulated. Mm. They may not like what happened, but they don't realize that it happened. Uh, they, they say that it was literally I chose to do it that way or I had no choice in it to where in fact Really, what was going on is they weren't watching what was what was happening. 
they didn't realize that they were being manipulated. So then we can go back then to the idea of the distinction between hypnosis, which is the hypnotist manipulating his mark, into the concept of self-hypnosis. That in fact, uh, since you do know that you have, let us say generally, we do have our own best self-interest at heart. Mm. That's not always the case. Uh, and that in fact, uh, that's not the case when we're depressed, because when we're depressed, we're actually pushing against our own better judgment, putting pressure mm. on ourselves. And so you could say then that depression is nothing but self-hypnosis gone wrong. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. That we literally talk ourselves into feeling bad and talking ourselves into feeling depressed. And so uh, it's actually quite useful for people to study hypnosis if they're going to be doing guided meditations rather than just listening to some old guru uh, who has kind of stumbled on to a working method. Like the uh, the guided meditations that are done with Gawanka. Uh, Gawanka didn't have a lot of experience with hypnosis. And because of that, a lot of times the students are actually resisting doing what he wants them to do. By asking the questions wrongly and, and that kind of thing. So this is part of the quality of the of a guided meditation or a hypnosis is, is that we have to take these psychological factors into play so that we can manipulate the get people to uh, in the worst and silliest example is having someone to pretend that they're acting like a chicken on stage, you know, they put that on their head, chuck and uh, whatnot like that. And everybody thinks that that's funny. And then the suggestion is made at the end of that is, is that they'll forget all about it, which then they do. But in the guided meditation, we don't want you to forget all about it. We want you to know that this was a hypnotic induction and that you got it successful and you got great benefit out of it. And those benefits, then you can do yourself again to where the problem with some guided meditations like the scan, the body scanning that's done with the Goenka technique is that people get dependent upon the, uh, the guided meditation. But I saw that, that that was actually uh, one of the detriments of doing guided meditations is that the students get attached to them and they want the teacher to do another guided meditation and another guided meditation and another guided meditation and then it's the teacher has to do uh, the job for them. That also can happen when someone, let us say, keeps going back to the teacher for advice and he gets his good advice, he goes away and then he comes back to the teacher again to get good advice. But then he goes and then he comes right back again. Okay, over and over again, and very soon the teacher's going to get the idea that, no, this guy is not getting it. 
because the whole point is, is that this is something to be practiced on one's own. This is that the uh, the guided meditation, if we were talking about it from that perspective, is only as good as if the student can give himself the guided meditation. Mm. Okay, and so the guy, a good guided meditation then is going to be going through the various parts of the Eightfold Noble Path, the Four Noble Truths, and that kind of stuff, but putting it into play and putting it into action right this very moment. Whereas speaking of it didactic, like the student listens about the Eightfold Noble Path in order to go practice it some other place, some other time. And many students don't, they just come back to the teacher to hear it again and again and again without actually putting it into practice. This is one of the reasons why I stopped doing guided meditations because students got really attached to them. And so that doesn't mean that they have no value at all, but rather that we have to be more careful in doing guided meditations so that the students can get the benefit out of it and also knowing that they can do it themselves that you can do your own guided meditation if you can remember to do that but your own guided meditation or your own hypnotic induction is nothing but in this case having one wholesome thought after another after another Also, there's another value in guided meditations for beginners, and that is that the teacher will, uh, let us say, talk a while and get the students into doing the practice correctly, and then he'll be quiet for two, three, four, five minutes and start watching for the agitation if it's in a group. You start watching for the group's agitation. But if you're talking to one student, then you wait for signs of him having agitation and that's when the teacher starts talking again with the idea in fact the first thing that we would say is and if the mind wanders away from the breath never mind again and come back deep breath get the breathing and recognize everything is okay and everything is fine that later the student um, up and say, you know, just as the mind wandered away, you started talking again to remind me. How do you know that? Mm -hmm. Okay. The other possibility in a group is is that people's mind have already wandered away and they didn't know it. But when the uh, the guide starts talking again, that's when they wake up and remember. So it could have been four or five minutes that this, uh, the guide was was quiet and the mind was just all over the place and wandering away. But when the guide spoke, that was an anchor to bring the student back into the meditation. And so it appears that for every student that just when the guide spoke was exactly when they needed to be uh, to start speaking. Mm. But the but the mind could have already wandered away and the student didn't know it. And so this is the value of the guided meditations on the second degree is not only number one gets the student's mind into a wholesome state, but the second degree is, is that it starts to teach sati, 
so long as the student doesn't become attached to the teacher's psyche and he starts to develop it on his own. That's the real value is when the student begins to develop psyche on his own so that he remembers to come back and continue to do the guided meditation. <laughs> so that's the main problem with uh, just off the shelf, ordinary hypnotist and talking about self-hypnosis and people have written books about it. The problem with it is, is that people start to do the guided meditation and then they forget and the mind wanders away from the guided meditation, what's going to bring them back so that they continue the hypnotic induction so that they don't get stuck at, at let us say, uh, number seven on the ladder or on the, uh, the elevator in the mine, that they can actually get all the way down into the cave. Mm -hmm. And so this is the, uh, the point about the guided meditations is, is to keep the students continuing to go so that they don't forget, they don't get lost, and they continue to bring themselves to a very deep, comfortable state that many people can't do all by themselves, especially if they don't have the, uh, the tools or the knowledge of exactly how to do that. This is why uh, repetition is repeated over and over again. Now, what I mean by re repetition being repeated over and over again is to tell the students that they have to repeat things over and over again, and they have to be told over and over again that they have to repeat things over and over again, because the normal habit of the mind is to just wander away into what old, um, let us call it hypnotic inductions that the students were having all along which meant then uh, that our whole lives we've been spending in talking ourselves into being depressed, talking ourselves into being unhappy, talking ourselves into feeling bad because of the hypnotic induction that we learned from our parents. But they, they hypnotized us into feeling bad the same way that they did. Mm. So now a real hypnotic induction that's going to be self-hypnosis is going to need for the student to repeat it, to do it over and over again and over and over again. And so the first 10 or 15 or 20 times or 30 times, they're just repeating it because they've been told to repeat it, but they don't see much value there. But over time, they do. Here's another example of, of that, and that is, is that one of the students came up with a cliche and then uh, that he had heard many times before and someone said that cliche yet once again, and this time he got it. He had heard it a hundred times, and so he was so excited about that he finally figured things out, and so he goes to his dad and tells the dad that cliche. Didn't mean anything to the dad. And so this guy starts to feel bad because his dad had devalued his insight. But his mm -hmm. insight based upon repetitive view and repetitive view. Uh, another example of that would be that you're reading text 
that is very, very small and is blurred and you can't understand it. What do you do? You hold it up to a light. You investigate it again. You maybe get a magnifying glass. Nowadays, the kids will get their cell phone out and take a photo of it so that they can see the photo is easier to read than the actual uh, uh, print itself. Mm. I do that with uh, uh, the serial numbers on hard drives because the, the, the serial number is often in a font that's so small that I can't see it at all. Mm. But I take a photo of it and then I can read the photo. So this is the whole quality then is, is that um, when I put, when you first can't read that small text, if there is the effort or the energy to, to read it, then we will continue to work with it until we do understand it and we do figure it out. Mm. This is the quality of the repetition and the same thing with students when learning to play a new piece of music. Mm. Yeah. To learn to play a new piece of music requires us to um, repeat it over and over and over again learn to play it on the piano to slow it down and get one note at a time over and over again okay in a way you could say then that that is a hypnotic induction to learn to play the piece of music we have to do it over and over again we have to do it slow we have to, to repeat it repeat it repeat it over and over and over again so this is the qualities then that we're looking for in both the hypnotic induction and in guided meditation. Mm. That's the way that it's uh, uh, done successfully is because it has to be done in that repetition way, knowing that the students are going to have some resistance to it continue to talk and continue to talk and to talk about how nice it feels when the body is relaxed. Mm. Okay, so the very kind of things that I'm saying in our uh, discord or, or excuse me, in our dialogue or in our didactic would be then what you would put into the guided meditation, which would then be called experiential because instead of just telling the students how to meditate, Giving them the guided meditation allows them to go into a state of meditation right here, right now in the dialogue. Now, a lot of people don't know it, but if you're uh, skilled at watching many of the videos, you can see that that's in fact exactly what I do with some students on some occasions. As we stop talking didactically and start doing a hypnotic induction, right in this middle of the sentence. Mm. Mm. I've seen that in one Alex video where he was very frustrated and um, you sort of gave up trying to explain Anapanasati to him and just guided him through it. And um, it seemed really effective. It really changed his state. Mm -hmm. So this is right, because when people are arguing and frustrated, they're not listening. They're resisting. Mm. And so we have to find a way of getting them into it. But 
actually that one was uh, how to say it as too obvious, too stark. Yes, yes. That there's often more subtle technique that in fact, while I've been talking to you, I've been doing a bit of guiding you into those states. That is not just didactic. Well, here's the problem with books, you see. Books do not make guides. A book is not a guide. A book is all didactic information. Mm. Okay. And that even if the, uh, the book says, you should go sit down and meditate, the students will read that and resist it. Mm. Mm. As opposed to actually going down and sitting down and start to practice the things that they've been reading. And so uh, sitting quietly together and talking together in a peaceful way is one of the ways that people will naturally start meditating without even calling it meditation or even knowing what they're doing or even recognizing that the way that things are being done in this particular, uh, let us say, conversation is in fact guiding the student into being in a better place mm. rather than in the way that salesmen or hypnotists do it in the sense of guiding the person into a place where they can be taken advantage of. Yes, yeah. So there's that there. That's the two major ways of looking at it is, is that is this uh, is the sales pitch come hypnotic induction for the value, or is it uh, for uh, for the uh, the client, or is this merely the the hypnotist or the salesman being able to manipulate his market? Mm. Mm. But now on the other side, now that it's your job that you know this stuff, that you need to pay attention to it when it's happening. Mm. Absolutely. To know what's going in. Yeah, to recognize, oh, I see what this salesman is doing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I could see, I could see how that could be um, dangerous, um, especially for spiritual teachers. Um, sort of like a cults extorting money from clients and stuff. They could use use some of those things. That's same exactly right. Yeah. That's what a cult is. A cult is mass hypnosis. Mm. Mm. That's what propaganda is. Is mass hypnosis. It's taking advantage of people by being able to talk them into it. Mm, it's a brainwashing, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's, that's exactly, well, that's how the word brainwashing is used. I like to use the word brainwashing better <laughs> in a whole way. That, yeah, we do need to, bra to, to wash the brain. The problem with the word brainwashing is, is that it's not brainwashing. It is actually putting a whole bunch of trash in there. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. if it were wholesome, it would be brainwashing, but in fact, it's not washed, that people are uh, being taken advantage of. Yeah, you're making it worse. Uh, right. And, you know, um, Doe and uh, Jim Jones and uh, uh, Baker, many, many charismatic preachers 
in fact. That's what the charisma is. The charisma that is, that is known as charisma is getting people to do things that under normal circumstances they would see as ridiculous. Uh, and we have been trained in our society to go all day long doing one ridiculous thing after another. And when I when I say the word ridiculous, what I mean by that would be worthy of ridicule by the wise. Mm. No, I, I see. I see what you mean. Yeah, our uh, our, our whole lifestyle are really built built around it. The, the work and, and then the rest and, and the rest you're not even resting you're just sort of numbing yourself mm-hmm. and here's something that's very interesting about that and that is that we often go around doing things that we're told to do mm. we're just doing them but we do it because we're trying to avoid punishment or um, that we're somehow afraid that if we don't do it something bad will happen and so we go around doing a whole lot of bad stuff to avoid something else that's bad that may or may not even occur. Mm. Okay, the example of that would be um, do your homework. And the child is sitting there struggling and doing their homework to, in fact, a really, really smart child will get the parent to do the homework for them. <laughs> by asking one question after another, after another. Oh, well, what does this mean, Daddy? And what is that? And how do I draw the line? And Daddy will get, he'll start doing it for the kids. And they say, you know, the kid's actually smarter by learning to manipulate his dad than he would be smart if he had actually done his own homework. Mm-hmm. So we have to look at what skills we are teaching our children and whatnot. That doing uh, doing the homework the, uh, for the wise dad would mean that if he can teach the child to like doing the homework, then he doesn't have to work so hard at making the kid do the homework. That would be a very, very wise decision on the father's part. Mm-hmm. And so how the father could do that is if the kid does come and ask him a question, instead of saying to the kid, oh, you already know the answer to that. Why are you bothering me for it? We can do it and play a game. Oh, I bet you do know. Give me mm-hmm. a guess. What do you think? If, if you didn't care about whether you got it wrong or not, which one would you choose? And so we can make a game out of it. And so the homework can become jo- enjoyable. If we could teach our kids to enjoy their homework, then they would choose to do the homework out of their own joy rather than choosing to look at the cell phone. Because that's what kids are doing. Nonstop is looking for joy. Mm. And we don't get out of that. that. That kid is still within us all the time. We're out there looking for joy. But the fact is, is that we're not very skilled at finding the joy immediately. And then we'll forget about the joy and we'll go off and do what we're told to do instead. Mm. This is one of the things that you could say is the cause of the monkey mind. It's because the monkey is dissatisfied and he's looking for satisfaction. And he jumps on something thinking you're going to get satisfaction there, which you probably would. 
if you'd stay there long enough, but he doesn't stay there long enough to get any satisfaction out of it, and so he jumps again. Here's an example of how we do that, and that is, let us say that the average student, Donald Dude or whatever, is watching YouTube videos. While he's watching one YouTube video, he's looking through the uh, what he's going to look at next. Mm. And before this video is finished, you'll be clicking on that one and watch that video, but it'll only watch two or three minutes, and then he'll click and watch another video. Very relaxing. I imagine, I imagine that that happens a lot on the videos that we've got on YouTube, is, is that people don't stay very long on them because it was clickbait to them in the first place. Mm. And now Monkey Mind just jumps to someplace else. Do you know what your, um, do you know what your average watch time is? Well, it's not very high uh, because I think that there's a, uh, that YouTube puts it up for a lot. There's several possibilities. One is, is that I think that there may be some bots that are going on that are outside of YouTube, but it may also be the way that YouTube presents the videos to just general massive audiences. Mm. Somebody will click on it and then it's not to their liking. It didn't have beautiful music or whatever they were looking for and so they'll go click on something else because their 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 screen has many choices mm. but with every video youtube is presenting on that same screen with that video a bunch of other choices and people will click on this and then click on that and then click on this and then click on that but in fact many of the times the video that we're about to click on if we would merely read the title of it that would be sufficient <clears throat> that's that's especially yeah. that's especially true for news. You don't have to watch the video because the title of it gave you the whole point of what the video is. Why should I listen to them to uh, talk ten minutes about the stock market went up, or talk for ten minutes about oh there are uh, destroyers in within seventy miles of Russia territory. Yeah, okay, so we know that. Why should I listen to 10 minutes yeah. to talk about it? Yeah. So much of the stuff that we can get that we need, we don't have to watch that video. And so the mind can see that. And so now that we've gotten the point of the video, we go watch something else. And the mind is just jumping and jumping and jumping and never feeling satisfied. Mm. It doesn't It doesn't leave enough time for the information to sink in. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So this is actually what we need to do with the guided meditation. Is just repeat the stuff over and over again so that it sinks in to the point that the student is actually in the state that we're inviting him to go into. Uh, there's some other dangers with it, including the fact that uh, while the Dhamma teacher is talking, the students may be thinking about something else, and so he's in and out. So the teacher is teaching here, and the student is in and out and in and out and in and out. And so uh, that's that's one of the reasons why it's a good idea to have a one-on-one -on -one discussion rather than doing a guided meditation for a great group of people, because if you're having a conversation with one person, then you can watch them. And you can see whether their eyes are going off that way 
or that if you're not listening, whatever. Like from time to time, on some of the videos, you can hear that I just stop talking, just stop, just to see what the student is going to do next. And oftentimes, students are just lost in thought. Hmm. Hmm. That's funny. Okay, so that means then that the, any good guided meditation means that it's actually got to be a real dialogue between the uh, uh, the guide and the student, because the guide's got to pay close attention to what the student's doing. So these are the basics. And, and you can tell that, in fact, uh, that normal states that people are in, people actually could, you could say that everyone has a home feeling. Mm. Or a place where they land. And nothing else is going on. They will wind up being in that feeling. That can be a feeling of fear. It can be a feeling of frustration or anger. It can be a feeling of being under great pressure, which we mean by depression. I mean, the word is it, you know, when they say clinical depression, all that means is somebody who's been to university can see that you're pressurizing yourself. Mm. Yeah. That's what makes it clinical. Is the clinician can see what's going on. But generally, we are all depressed from time to time. That's one of the favorite uh, landing places for many people. Uh, and and it can have, let us say, a uh, a handle or a catchphrase, like "What's the use?" or "What's the bother?" Or a real pity party is going to have something like, poor me. Oh, this is terrible. Mm, this always happens to me. Yeah. Oh, dear sir. I hadn't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> so a good hypnotist is going to, even with a self-hypnotist, is going to be able to see that you've gotten yourself into that state. So now it's time for the guide to guide you back out of that. Mm. Because that's how you've been guiding yourself. You've been guiding yourself into depression. You've been guiding yourself into uh, uh, unwholesome states. Now it's time to start guiding ourselves out of it. And so this would be the value of a guided meditation. And then we don't even have to use the word meditation or hypnosis or anything and just stay with the idea of guiding. Or leaving yourself out. And so in this regard, the verbal thoughts that we have, the language that we use. Then is the guide for the feelings. That we can right. guide into feeling in a certain way by using that kind of language. So when the thought comes up, oh, this is awful, or gosh, I don't know where I'm going with this, then you can wake up to that and say, hot dog, I caught that. Okay, now that hot dog, I caught that, that's actually changing the whole frame of reference. This is where the Buddha talks about it is, um, uh, gladdening the mind, brightening the mind. So the brightening of the mind should be part of the hypnotic induction 
even though in hypnosis they talk about going deep and going down, mm-hmm. perhaps a better hypnotic suggestion, come to think about it, is imagine that you're in a hot air balloon that's just now leaving the ground. As you breathe in, you begin to lift yourself off the ground, and now you're at 10 feet above the ground, and you begin to see things in a much different way, more clearly. And as we continue to float into the air, we begin to see things even better and more clearly, that we can get quite a vista going, and everything is really cool, and we can feel the breeze, and the breeze is blowing the hot air balloon, and we begin to go higher, and just feel so good because we are no longer bound by all of those depressive thoughts. Now, notice for the past paragraph, I've been doing it, not a conduction. It's been working, I think, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and it's working too. <laughs> I yeah. can tell when you closed your eyes. But then when you opened your eyes again, that's when I broke the hypnotic induction and went back into didactic. <laughs> very, that's so, very clever, yeah. It really, it's, it makes a very big difference, I think, um, the way you deliver the message, even if the words are the same, the way you um, explain it and present it and the, the, the tonalities of your voice and stuff can really affect how it's received, yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, yes, the tone of the voice is the guide. Then, in fact, I've known that I've been uh, sort of playing with it as a toy with my dogs because the dogs don't understand the language, but they understand the tone of the language. So I can pet Lucky and I can scratch her ears and I say, Lucky, you're the ugliest dog in town. <laughs> Lucky, you are so stupid, you don't even know how to get a proper ear scratch. And she's just loving it. (laughs) And listen to the things that I'm saying to her, okay? So, in reality, that's what's going on with us anyway, that we're much more attuned to the tone of voice than we are to the actual words that someone is saying. that the tone of the voice is actually what we're responding to. So when dad comes in all uptight and everything and starts telling the kids that uh, are pointing out that he's in a hurry, it's in his tone of voice. Mm. He doesn't have to go around the room clapping his hands and says, come on, guys, come on. It's the tone of the voice. He can go around clapping his hands and say, hey, guys, you having fun? But here again, it's the tone of voice. And so the hypnotic induction has to do with, or a good guided meditation, is all about the tone of the voice and the way that it's used, and then the visual imagery that we give. Like the imagery of the rising in a balloon is very pleasant to feel weightless. I mean, there was all kinds of language that we could have continued with in our hypnotic induction of going into the clouds and seeing how free the birds are. Mm. and how bright the the sun is and how moist the clouds are. And so we actually then begin to paint mental imagery of sensation, the experience of the here now. 
so this is how an in a hypnotic induction then has these qualities as the tone of the voice, the mental imagery that you're picking to bring the person into the reality of the moment, even though they're imagining that reality, it's still a sensory awareness. Seeing the birds and seeing the uh, uh, the the clouds and seeing as the uh, we feel weightless, and so that's a, a feeling sensation. We feel light, buoyant, and so these kind of words are the ones that are used that will. Uh, bring the person into that feeling state. And then later in the induction, they were saying, wow, everything is so nice. Everything is so wonderful. I mean, way up here floating in the clouds with not a care in the world. Just allowing the breeze to just drift us along and everything is so nice and everything is so cool. As we do it this way then, those kind of things actually allow the student to go into the first jhana. You can actually talk someone into the first jhana. So when people are on Reddit and they're talking about, hey, I was in first jhana, blah, 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 blah. I say, yeah, I wonder who talked you into that. <laughs> or was it in fact first jhana at all? Mm. Mm. Or was it some sort of magical experience? And now all it is is just a remembered experience. And so this would be then the value of a good hypnotic induction or a good guided meditation is that the student can hear it and all of those processes so that he can begin to repeat it for himself. Because that's what I want to get out of this video is not that I can do a full hypnotic induction with you, but rather that you're going to understand what's going on with it so that you can begin to play with it for yourself and do your own hypnotic induction, which is nothing then but practicing Anapanasati a la Buddha. Mm, right, yeah, yeah. And talking ourselves through that, that, mm -hmm. that method, and, yeah. Yeah, so there's a little more to it than that. And that is Sangha. When you are around other people who are already in a noble state, their language is going to be from that place. And the mm -hmm. students who are listening to the noble when he is speaking in noble terms, that has an influence and an effect upon the students. And when you're around the nobles a lot, it rubs off. Mm -hmm. This is what Sangha is all about, is, is that nobility is transferable through hypnotic induction without any formalities of it at all. Mm. Mm. And so the more noble you speak with other people, the more value it will have for you. And the more noble language that you hear from other people, the more valuable it will be for both of you. Sort of like a win-win situation. So noble speech, is not like money in the sense that if I give you a dollar, then you've got the dollar, but I don't. Mm. Brother, it's more like fire or information. That if I teach you about or tell you about hypnotic inductions and guided meditations and you know that, 
Now we're both better off because we both know. Right. Yes, definitely. And I think this is a very sort of, I mean, to me it feels underappreciated. Um, just because the difference that I can see having you made it, since you've made it explicit, that I can, I can see the difference that it makes is mm -hmm. significant. Right. And I, I imagine that most of the Dhamma that you'd gotten before, you'd gotten out of a book. Yes, yeah. But the guy who wrote the book doesn't know what mind state the reader is going to be in five years after the book is written. Mm. Mm. Okay, for that reason, we don't know where to go or what to do when writing a book. And so it winds up being an organized thing rather than a natural progression. Right. Okay, and that's the problem with written books, especially Dhamma books, is people think they're going to get Dhamma out of a Dhamma book. Oh, no, all you're going to get is words on paper. All the rest is up to you. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's, um, that's a good point. But a one-to-one -one relationship, that's what I got from Achan Po, and Achan Po was the real master. Because he didn't even know English and he could do a hypnotic induction <laughs> and he didn't even know the language very well. Mostly it was in silence. Mm. Just being with Achan Po was uh, him rubbing off without him having to even say much. So that was another blessing. Here's an example of that. This one is back to cute. He and I were standing out on the gravel path in the forest so that the daylight was shining through. And one of the biggest wasps that I have ever seen lands on his head. Now, I've actually seen that kind of wasp before, recently here in the house. We had one that, and it is almost three inches long. We're talking about a, a wasp. We're not talking about a fly. We're not talking about a regular moss. We're talking about one of these that is from South Thailand. And that thing landed on his head while he while we were chanting and he was talking. And then it started to move from this area down towards his left eye. Mm. And he was just there with it. He didn't move a muscle uh, associated with that watch. I think he was watching to see what my reaction was. And when he got pretty close to his left eye down here, that's when my arm came up. He was waiting for that. He was waiting for me to react to that watch. And I did. <laughs> and that was when the teaching began. Right, yeah. That's clever, because, yeah. And he almost did it silently because all he did was to put his hand up above mine. That as I was raising my hand up, he just put his hand there to stop mine. But he did it in such a gentle way. And he says, never mind. Never mind. That's all he said. Just never mind. And then the wasp flew away. I suppose it's not the um, it's not the words per se. It's the the energy behind the words and, mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah. And he and he always had this really soothing energy. He was a master at hypnosis because he didn't even have to use words. 
to do the hypnotic induction, just his presence. And here I was all into uh, Milton H. Erickson. Have you ever heard of Milton H. Erickson? He is about the most famous actual hypnotist. He was um, crippled when he was really little and was wheelchair bound. And so he had a chance to study people. And so his hypnotic inductions were actually quite um, uh, natural. And then he caught the attention of Bandler and Grendel, who were two psychologist researchers who were in graduate school. And they go to this famous hypnotist to find out what he was doing. And that was basically the beginning of NLP. Hmm. Neuro-linguistic programming is nothing but a hypnotic induction. Neuro-linguistic programming. It's got a ring to it. I like that. It does, yeah. Yeah. Okay, because the programming is the induction and the linguistics is using the words to guide the mind into a place. And it, uh, in one of the old books of Banner and Grinder, half the book, is a hypnotic induction that Milton A. Sherrison does with an old farmer without ever talking about hypnosis. What he talks about is tomatoes or tomatoes. Now, if someone reads that hypnotic induction as a book, you're going to get really bored with it and you're going to flip to one page after the next and all you just see is the word tomato mm. <laughs> over and over and over again the word tomato how juicy they are and how beautiful the tomato is and what a huge taste it has and you can see the tomato starts off as a seed and there it's planted and it begins to grow and as it grows it grows into a beautiful little plant and as that plant grows and nurtures, it begins to put out uh, flowers, and then a tomato starts to form. And as that tomato forms, we begin to feel really good about tomatoes. So that's the sneaky part is he brings that in. So this is how the hypnotic induction is done by real experts. But I now can see a reflecting point that Achan Po was an even more of a master hypnotist than this very famous Milton A. Erickson. But he didn't even know what he was doing. In a way, you could say that neither one of them knew what they were doing. Mm. But that, uh, so this, uh, this whole idea of guided meditation is exactly what any noble is going to be doing with any student who comes by. Is to talk about the Dhamma in a way that brings the person into the Dhamma right then and there. As opposed to just teaching the Dhamma for them to go get it some other time. So that's what the whole point is, is that the getting the point right here, right now, and understanding that the state that you're in right now, which is pretty valid, you can bring yourself to that state anytime you want to by talking yourself into it. Mm. Mm. 
by saying things that uh, I mean we don't and and you can you can just see how mellow it was to talk about tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's that amazing. Yeah. It depends upon your tone of voice, but we could also have a, uh, a, a conversation about tomatoes. Well, I really want the big ones and we can shine them up. And if there's any bad spots on them, we got to cut that out and we'll get these things to market. So we can talk about tomatoes and it has no value <laughs> or it's got commercial value. As opposed to talking about tomatoes or any other thing. So the reason that tomatoes were used was because that was the tomato farmer. So mm. that was something close to him, important to him. And so Erickson would take that as the, um, let us say, the uh, uh, the format or the, the place to use to get this old farmer into a really, really good state. So then he could give the data or the information that the farmer needs to hear like that those tomatoes actually can cure your cancer, not because you need them, but because you love them. And if you start loving things more and more, then you won't be eating yourself out, which is nothing but what cancer is, is just eating yourself alive. And when we don't do that, everything is cool. And so this is a way that we could talk about and get a person into a really good state and then help them out of their depression. I like think they're not really as heavy as you would thought that they were. Mm. There's really nothing to it. We just talk ourselves into feeling bad and we could talk ourselves. So depression, there's nothing to it, really. Just lay off. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's finish this call for the day, Robert. This has been a really good call. I've really enjoyed this. Likewise, I've learned a lot from this one. Okay. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, both about hypnosis and also about depression. If you'll notice, we've been bringing depression in on a regular basis with this. Because that's one of the reasons why people go to hypnotists is to come out of their depressions. And, and I go hypnotists and again, literally talk people out of it. Uh, the, the issue is, is that there is no certification. There are people people who do teachers. I had an actual formal teacher. This was a guy in Detroit and he was fairly well known. But he was also not quite allowed into the psychotherapy community because all of those guys were getting PhDs and papers and whatnot like that. But mm -hmm. anybody can learn hypnosis. Anybody can learn to do it. It's not that hard to do. But the important thing is remember to keep that tone of voice, to keep coming back into that soothing. Everything is okay. And that's all we need to really do with our own meditation is just giving ourselves soothing voices. Mm. And so when you are feeling depressed, look at the kind of language that you're using and change the language into soothing 
everything was okay language. Taking a deep breath and getting the weight of that depression off your chest. So taking a deep breath, wow, it feels so good to be free. Just like flying with the birds that are in a hot air balloon, everything is just so cool and easy going. It's a big marvel as to why I spent so much time depressing myself when I could just be enjoying flying around, floating in the breeze, completely free of all worries and problems and everything is okay. I could, while you were saying that, I could literally feel sort of the stress just melting out of my body and just, yeah, becoming relaxed. Wonderful. Okay. So, now that you know how to do this, have fun. Yeah, I will. I will. I can see this is uh, definitely one I'll, I'll probably re-listen to more than once. Really good. Really good stuff here. All right. Well, we'll see you again soon, Robert. See you soon. Thank you very much again. Okay. Enjoy the rest of your enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs>